everybody. Great to have you with us today. Uh, my name is Chris. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'd love to love to, to meet you. If you ever have questions about our church, in particular, where we're going or where we've been, let me know. I'd love to share those stories with you. I'm also glad that we've got our kids with us today. It's great to have you guys in here. Um, today we're going to do some myth busting. So it's good to have some kids. Kids are good at busting, aren't they? So it's good to have you. Have, <laughs> got some amens there from the parents. Yes, they are. They're very good at busting things. So we're going to do some myth busting. Let's jump right in. Here's the myth we're going to bust today. Today we're going to bust the myth that poverty alleviation is as simple as people pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Now, for the kids, you might be going, how can I bust this myth? Because I don't even know what that means. So let me translate that. Um, Here's a translation. And again, kids, this is a myth. This is not true. And what we're going to do is we're going to explain how this is not true. So here's the not true statement. The not true statement is that poor people can become rich simply by working harder. That may be true for some people, but for many, many millions of people, that's not true at all. It's a myth. And we're going to try to bust that myth up today. And the reason we need to bust it up is because a surprising number of Americans believe it. A surprising number of Americans believe that all poverty is a choice. That if people just worked harder, any person could break out of poverty. And that's simply not true. It is impossible to pull yourselves up, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps if you don't have boots. And that's what we're going to look at today. Well, before we get busting up this myth, I want to address a more foundational issue for those of you who haven't been around here at this church for a while, or for those who have, and you wonder, why do we keep circling back to this topic? We take it from different angles, but why do we keep circling back to the the topic of of poverty? Well, let me phrase that in the form of a question. Um, The question would be this, why does this matter? Why as a church do we keep circling back to this? It, It matters because 10 million kids won't be alive a year from now if people don't step up and do something. 10 million kids won't make it in a year's time due to directly due to poverty-related issues. I started thinking about how big that number is. It's a huge number. Huge number. Here's how I broke it down in my head. I'm not a math guy, but if I did my math right, 10 million kids is equal to 33,000 of our churches. Our church is about 300 people on a Sunday. That's 33,000 ECCs in one year's time. That's how big 10 million kids is. 10 million kids is 27,400 a day. And then I tried to break it down even more specific. Imagine this room filled with people from wall to wall. The capacity that it says you can have in here by law is 300 in this room. If we filled this room with 300 kids we would have to fill this room 91 times a day, every day, for a year to get 10 million. Can you picture that? Picture every seat in this room filled and and, and seats all the way wall to wall. 91 times fill this room in one day and then repeat that every day for a year. That's how many we're talking about. That's why this matters. This matters because this isn't happening for most in our backyards. And so it's easy for us to just only focus on other topics. You know, theological issues, which we focus on here. Um, Current events, which we focus on here. Books of the Bible, passages from the Bible, which we focus on here. But we've got to circle back to this topic. We we wouldn't need to remind ourselves to circle back to this topic if the funerals funerals were held here. 
Imagine that. Imagine if for one year's time they had a funeral 91 times and there were 300 coffins at every one of those funerals. Imagine that right here. We would be talking about this, right? We would be, what can we do? God, what would you have us to do? We got to do something. We wouldn't just talk about it. We would feel compelled to, to get involved. That's why we circle back to this topic because we can't just ignore it just because we don't see it as much. We've got to circle back to it here at, at this church. There was a time in America when slavery was legal in our country. And there's, there's Christians who rightfully, we look back and we say, well, how could any Christian sit on the sidelines during that? Because there were some. There were some Christians in the day who, when slavery was legal in our country, they just, well, we have other things we've got to focus on and talk about in our churches. And there were churches that never talked about slavery. And we look back and we say, how could you, how could you sit on the sidelines? Well, there, were, there are Christians in Asia, in Africa, Latin America, South America today that would say the same thing of most American churches. How can you not, how can you not spend time talking about what God would have you to do? So that's a piece of the why. That's why we circle back to this topic. We need to keep it forefront because it's such an urgent and important deal. Well, I said we'd do some myth-busting today, so let's get at it. And for answers, guys, when we look for truth, kids who are with us today, when we look, when we look for truth here in big church, we go to the Bible. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that I don't understand. Even as a grown-up, we studied it a lot, of, a lot of years. There's still some things I don't understand, a lot of things I don't understand. But let me tell you something. I trust the Bible more than I trust any book in the whole world. I trust it. I trust it. And that's why every time we get together, we, we look at a passage from the Bible. And today the passage we're going to look at is in what's called the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. Now, in the next series we're going to do in Big Church, we're going to be looking at a whole chapter at a time. We're going to look at the book of Jonah, which we've never done here as a, as a big church. There's so much more there than the Sunday school pieces. But today we're just going to look at two verses. Just two. Because today isn't so much about understanding. We're going to be able to understand this passage pretty quick. It's more about applying it today. We have to spend some extra time there. So here it is, um, Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 10. I also want to mention, too, if you're new to our church, you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one free today. We always keep a stack right there in the back. Please take one. It's a gift to you. You don't sign anything. Don't, don't have to tell us. Don't feel any guilt. We would be happy for you to have that at home. Here we go, Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 10. It says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over to your, or your vineyard, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. These are words that were given to God's people as, as God delivered them out of slavery. The, the people had been in slavery 400 years. God delivered them out of slavery and he said, now here are some instructions. Guys, let's, this is how we're going to treat one another. And this is one of the ways we're going to treat one another. This one that we just read here. Now, Many of you didn't grow up um, probably in the country. Although in the first service, it was great. There was a whole bunch of people that did. How many of you either grew up on a farm or near a farm growing up? Look at that. You're my people. You're my people. I was a, I was a country boy. We didn't have a big farm. We just had a little 30-acre piece of property, and we had a barn and these types of things. But I, I loved growing up in the country. And, and let me put um, kind of a little more concreteness uh, to, to this idea of harvest and all that. Um, we had this neighbor. His name was uh, Hank. Henry Roth was his name, but everybody called him Hank. Isn't that a great name for a farmer? Hank Roth, you know. So he, lived, he had a big farm, and he was just right down the road. And one of the things we loved about, about Hank's farm is when he would grow peas, 
Oh, we would love that. Because when he would come through with all of his machines and he would harvest, there was always lots of peas left. Now, if your life experience is just canned peas, they're not really even peas, right? How many of you have had fresh, garden fresh, farm fresh peas? Total difference, right? Total difference. And as, as kids growing up, we used to love when, when Farmer Hank would, would have peas because they would go through with the machines and there were still lots left in the field. And so we'd go and we'd eat all these free peas right out there. And then we'd have the pea pot fights. Country kids, we make our, we make our, our fun. You, you, you suburbanites, you miss out on the good time. You throw them and they like stick like slimy Velcro. It's just great unless you get hit. But, but anyway, what was I talking about? Peas. Okay, so the, the point was, the point was we loved it when the farmer didn't pick up every single pea because then we could have some of these to eat. Now, I thought I would demonstrate that for you guys in, a, in an even more practical way, because some of you still might be thinking, well, I'm not a big fan of peas. But how many of you guys like candy? You know, candy? All right. So let's pretend. Let's pretend. Oh, some of those hands went up really high. Wow. Okay, nice. So here's, here's what I want you to pretend. Pretend that this is my field up here. All right? And let's pretend I've got plants that can grow candy. They're candy plants. Well, harvest time comes, and I'm harvesting all the candy from my candy plants. If I'm going to do what God says to do, I need to leave some, right, for those that don't have any. So let's pretend I harvested all the candy from here, but I left some candy on the edges of my field. And I left it for kids who don't have any candy right now. Any kids don't have any candy right now? All right, well, if, and you can define kid as, uh, as you feel fit. If it's okay with the person who brought you, you can come up and choose one piece of candy here from the edge of the field. You can come on up right now. Kids of all ages. There you go. I uh, was telling Dan to to grab this uh, song for some bumper music while the kids were coming up. And uh, Dan's like, oh, no problem. I already got that song. It's on my workout mix. He said. <laughs> Let's give him a second here. So many choices. So many choices. Well, how many kids are glad that I left some candy on the edge of my field for you? You glad about that? This is what God says. He, he says to leave some, to leave some for those who don't have any. That's what God was saying. There were some people back in, the, in that time at that day that they believed in ground gods. There were some people that believed in ground gods at that time in the place when the Bible was written. And some people would say, I better leave some of my food for the ground gods. God wasn't saying leave food for ground gods. There are no real ground gods. God was saying leave some of the food for other people who don't have farms of their own, people who can't grow their own food, people who, who don't have money to buy it. Leave some for them so that they can have some too. Now, there might have been some farmers at the time who who would think, that's not fair. This is my crop. There might have been some farmers who thought that. And they might have thought something like this in their head. Hey, God, this isn't fair. I paid for the seeds. I put the seeds in the ground. I cared for the crop. Why should they, why should they get something they didn't earn? If they want something to eat, why don't they buy their own seeds? Why don't they put their own seed in their own field and raise their own crops? Well, here's why we've got to do some myth-busting. Because it's not that simple, is it? 
And I wish I had lots and lots of time today. We don't have lots and lots of time today. And I have to squish things down and, and just give a real quick overview. But let me just quickly touch on just a couple of the reasons why it's not fair to assume that anyone can just do that. Here's, here's some reasons. Let me put up this up on the screen. It's hard to break out of poverty for some people. For some people, it just takes a little determination, you know, a little hard work. But for some people, it's not that simple, especially in other countries. Here's one of the reasons. One reason is because some people don't have any food. Because some people don't have any food. Well, what does that have to do with getting a job? It has everything to do with getting a job. Imagine if you woke up and try to visualize this. Imagine waking up in the morning and there's no food in your house. None. And imagine there's no food in any of the stores, any of the restaurants, any of the places where you normally get food. And imagine you don't have any money. None. All of a sudden, your plans for the day are what? Find food. And what's really hard is the longer you go without finding food, the more your body starts to shut down because it needs food. And your physical body can't work. And your mind, they've done a lot of research on this, even your mind starts to shut down and you can't think as clearly. I was reading in a book preparing for today, and there was a CNN reporter, and he said, you know what, I, I, I want to do a, a good story, and I, and I don't want to just you know, do some research. I want to actually experience it. So this CNN reporter, what he did is he said, for 30 days, I'm going to go and I'm going to live like these people um, in this country. And, and, and he said, I'm going to eat what they eat, and I'm going to work like they work. And so he started eating like they ate, and he started working like they worked. And his plan was to go 30 days and then write a story on it. He didn't make it 30 days. And this is somebody who started, he was well-rested, he was well-fed, he had a lot of reserves coming in, and he couldn't make it. He said he got scared because his, his mind, he couldn't think, and his body couldn't work. And so we think, well, why don't you just get a job? Well, if you don't have food, you, you've got to find food. And if you don't have food, you, you, you can't work the same way. And even more important than food is water because you can last quite a while without food. You can't last long without water. Going back to my own farm kid days, um, I remember how heavy a bucket this size of water could be because one of my jobs was to water the animals. Chickens were easy to water. you know. And in the summer, it wasn't hard to water the horses or the cows because you just turn on the pump in the barn. But in the wintertime, that would freeze. And the longest walk of my life was the walk carrying a bucket like this from the house to the barn over and over again. Remember, it splashed on my pants leg and they get frozen and all that thing. What I wish I could do, I wish I could give every one of you guys one of these, and maybe some of you families, honestly, do this at home, or not even if, just individuals, find a bucket like this and fill it up and feel how heavy that is. Because for most of the world, they don't have water at their house. I don't know if that's fair to say most of the world. For millions and millions and millions of people, they don't have water in their house. What millions and millions and millions of people have to do is they have to walk from their house. They have to walk and find water and then bring it. I, uh, I live right here in Shoreview. And Shoreview sends out a little publication from time to time called the Shoreviews. And this latest issue of Shoreview said how much water we use in Shoreview. And the average person, not family, average person uses 80 to 100 gallons a day. And that's exactly, that's what I said. But then they started breaking it down. They showed how much water you use in a shower, how much water you use when you flush the toilet, how much water you use for washing your clothes. And all. 
It adds up. Well, there was a woman in one of these books um, that I'll reference a little bit later here. Um, there was a woman who was speaking on issues of water. And so she said, you know what, I want to experience this because I was born in the United States. I've always been able to turn on a faucet and get water. She said, I want to experience what that'd be like. So she said, okay, where's the nearest lake to me? And it was about a mile away. And so she, she thought, okay, our family uses about 300 gallons a day. I'll reduce that by 90%. And so we'll go for 30. And so she took a bucket and she walked down to her lake, filled it up. And she said, I'd, I'd start with about four gallons. By the time I got home, the four gallons were all over the road, you know, and all over me. She'd get back with like a gallon or two. Fifteen trips. Mile each way. Wow. Imagine if that was your life. And someone just says, well, get a job. What? And let me throw this on, too. Think about the water source that's closest to your house. And water towers don't count. Think of lakes, rivers, all right? That's your drinking water. I mean, there's a, there's a little pond right down there. How many would be very excited to go scoop up your bucket, bring that home, and, and drink that? So, and that's what it's like around the world. So not only do you have to carry all that water, the very water that you're bringing home is filled with waterborne bacteria, disease. Let me, get, let me read the stats so that I get it right. The, the number of kids who die from waterborne diseases, oh, here it is. A child dies every 15 seconds from that. So sometime today, I would encourage you, get a big old bucket, fill it up, feel how heavy that is. Imagine carrying that a mile, two miles. And then imagine, the ver- picture the water closest to your house, what it would be like to drink that. It's not as simple as just get a job. And that's just food and water. Let's, let's group the next three together. Imagine if, if you didn't have a safe place to live. Imagine you didn't have a house that could protect you from the, from the wind and the rain and the cold or the heat. Or people, or animals, wild animals, or mosquitoes, you know, that carry diseases. Imagine you didn't have any access to doctors or medicine. So if, if you got sick, you, 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 you were in big trouble. And, and this last one, let me illustrate this one. The, the number four says teachers in schools. Imagine if Mark, um, <laughs> imagine if Mark uh, was able to have a little bit of food and water, so he was surviving. He, um, he had a shack that he was able to put up. He had doctor in medicine, but now he wants to apply for a job. So the, the guy says, here you go. Here's an application. Could you fill that out for me, Mark? You don't speak Spanish. The application's in Spanish. Well, thank you. So, so here you go. You, you, you feel like, okay, at least I've got some of the basics covered. I now can apply for a job, but you can't read. For some people, they, they can't read their own language because they've never had opportunity to, to have an education. You know, again, here, here we just assume you can because it's free. Some places it's not free. Some places there aren't any teachers or books or, or schools. How, how do you just pull yourself up from your bootstraps when you don't have access to education? Here's another one. Let's uh, throw another one up on the screen. Opportunities for income or capital. In some places there aren't jobs. There's your opportunity for income. And then the other one that's really important is this idea of capital. Now, when I was a kid, when I thought of capital, I thought of that building down in St. Paul, right? There's another thing about capital. Let me show you. Um, I think you'll be able to understand it if you just pay attention to this. Let's pretend that you wanted to make some money this summer and you wanted to have a lemonade stand. 
right? You need some stuff, right? That's the capital, the stuff to have your lemonade stand. What's an example of something you would need if you wanted to have a lemonade stand? What's an example? What's that? A pitcher. Yep. Pitcher. Yeah, there we go. What's lemonade consist of? You got lemons. You need sugar. Water. There's that water word again. Sugar. Yeah, cups would be a good idea. Cups. Water. Ice. Sign. Table. All right. This is capital. The stuff you need. And for some people, you know, you say, well, get it. If you can't find a job, create a business. With what? How am I going to sell lemonades? I don't, I don't have lemons. How am I going to sell a crop? I don't have seeds. How, how, how am I going to do this? Do you, do, you, do you understand? This is hard. This is complicated. Let me throw one more thing in here. One more thing, and that is help from the police. Help from the police. You know, we, again, in America, we just assume that the police officers are going to help us because we've got so many amazing officers who take care of us and look out for us. And we have courts that aren't perfect, but where we can go to seek justice. Imagine if that wasn't the case. In fact, the whole reason for this um, particular topic that we're, we're um, talking about today, the, the seed was planted in my head to do this when I was thinking about my friend's in Juarez, especially a couple years ago. You know, I think about how bad it was where a person, let's just say they were able to, to and this is a real-life situation, you were able to get a little tortilla stand in Juarez. You were able to raise a little bit of capital. You could get a little tortilla stand. And let's say you were making $10 a day at this, at this tortilla stand. Well, the thug hears about your little tortilla stand, and the thug says, you have to give me money. If you don't give me some of your money, you'll regret it. So in our country, thug comes up to you and says, hey, I want some of your money. What do we do? We go to the police. In Juarez, at least especially a couple years ago, the police were being paid by the thugs. So you go to the police and he says to the thug, hey, thug, that person that you're trying to get money from, he came to us. So then thug comes and bad things happen. Can you imagine that? How, how, how do you go about how do you go about starting a business in a situation like that? How do you make enough money to survive? I don't know. That's why I have so much respect for um, we have a guy named Armando. We have a relationship with the children's home in Juarez. And there's this guy Armando. He's come up here before. I, how much respect do you got for Armando, especially a couple years ago? He's a dentist. Dentist in Juarez. Well, anytime you try to advertise so that people know that you're a dentist, what happens? Who do you attract? The thugs. So you want to tell people that you have a business, but you can't tell people you have a business because if you tell people you have a business, the thugs show up. Do you see how this gets hard? This gets really, really hard. Really, really complicated. We have such a different mindset as Americans. You know, one of the things that we're trying to do as a family, remember how we talk about we don't use the words I'm starving in our family? I hope some of you also try to eliminate that from your vocabulary too. Why? Why should you eliminate I'm starving from your vocabulary? Because it's not true. It's not true. Most of us aren't starving. Most of us, we live in an amazing country. An amazing country. An amazing country. In fact, this Memorial Day weekend, what a great time to pause and remember that and be thankful to God that we live in the country that we do. But to move beyond being just thankful to God, saying, God, now what does this mean? 
What does this mean? There's a book that I highly recommend. In fact, I will go as far as to say with this book, every Christian in the United States should read this book. It's called The Whole Inner Gospel. I put the information inside your notes there. Um, great book. And one of the reasons I recommend this is because it'll take you deeper than we can go on a Sunday. It'll take you deeper than a 30-second slot on TV or a quick little story. We need to go deeper. And they press into these issues that we were just putting there up on the screens and to go into greater depth of what it's like for folks who are trying to break out of the cycle of poverty and why that's so difficult. Well, now as we begin to turn the corner here, let's turn a corner towards application. We've, we've talked about the problem. Let's start to turn our... our, our towards application. How can we apply this? And as we do, let's think back to the imaginary rant that our imaginary farmer was having a couple minutes ago. The rant where he says to God, hey God, this isn't fair. I paid for the seeds. I put the seeds in the ground. I cared for the crop. Why should they get to keep something that they didn't earn? I would hope that we could start to realize that there's a whole lot of people that could say the same thing to us. I'm a huge believer in hard work. Huge believer in hard work. But most of what's come our way isn't stuff that we earned. It's just stuff that we inherited. Um, Here's a quote that uh, I believe Eric Nelson has shared with you before when he's given a message up here. He's right on. It says, it's by a guy named Tim Keller, if you have money, power, and status, it's due, at least in part, to the century and place in which you were born, to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you earned. In short, your resources are in the end a gift from God. You know, it's so easy for us to to not remember that. It's so easy for us to think and and say, God, why don't I have this? Why don't I have this? Why don't I have this? Instead of stopping and being pausing and saying, God, thank you for what you've already given me. Here's another quote I ran across in in a book I was reading for another series. It says this, God has given us the use of his resources for a short time on earth. We have so much to be grateful for. Go through your day sometime just recognizing that everything is God's. Get out of God's bed, walk into God's bathroom, turn on God's shower, put on God's clothes, eat God's cereal, drink God's coffee, get into God's car, it should say, and head to work. When we start to see all of our resources as God's, it helps us develop an attitude of gratitude that leads to a heart of worship. And it's a lot easier to share when you realize it's not ours. It's a gift. It's a gift. Well, let's start writing some things down. Let's start getting serious about this. I'd encourage you to pull out your notes and write this down. In the Bible, God's people were called upon to establish kingdom communities. I'll say that again. In the Bible, God's people were called upon to establish kingdom communities. Now, here's a diagram that I've drawn before, and I plan to draw a lot. In fact, I plan to draw this so much that anybody can draw this diagram. All right? Let's draw two circles. This is how a lot of people understand Christianity. You've got earth and you have heaven. But so many people fail to focus on this part right here, the overlap. Because there's going to be a day when all is as it should be. There's going to be a day and a state in which God wipes every tear from our eye and there's no more hunger and there's no more pain. Right now, we've got tears, we've got hunger, we've got thirst, we've got pain. What a kingdom community is about is God having these people who are willing to say, God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they pray that and then they live that out. So that, among us, we're wiping people's eyes, their tears, 
We're feeding those who are hungry. We're clothing those who don't have clothes. We're giving water to those who are thirsty. In fact, you can find in both the Old Testament and the New, places where it says, God says, in your kingdom communities, in these communities of Christians, there should not be any poor among you. It also says, if you don't work, you don't eat. And we'll, get, we'll talk about that next week. Because some people can self-select out of that. But among you, there shouldn't be poor. Among you, there shouldn't be any poor. Let's look a little, real briefly about these kingdom communities. In a kingdom community, these people who are rallying around God, we look to God as king. We live by God-honoring principles like this principle of leaving some for others. We, we, we're hardworking. We're generous citizens. We seek justice for all. It's interesting in the scriptures you find that the Bible specifically says, don't show favoritism to the rich, which most of us would understand. It also says, don't show favoritism to the poor. It calls for justice, a just society. And then this last one, alleviating poverty or myths. That's one of the things we do as God's kingdom people. We alleviate poverty in our midst. Well, keep looking at the screens here because let's go to that next slide. Here's a question I have for you, and I encourage you to write this down. Does any believe, anyone believe that that calling has been revoked? That call to be kingdom communities? That we're no longer supposed to do the things that Jesus said to do and the things that God said to do through the prophets? It hasn't been revoked. If anything, Jesus raised the bar. You know, in Leviticus, we're instructed to leave the edges of our field. Well, Jesus, in his parables, his teaching, he condemns, he outright condemns hoarding. And he commends sacrificial giving. But here's the thing, please write this down. And this is one of the beautiful things about all this. Because you might be going, what do I got? My margins are pretty small. Hey, here's the good news. A small investment invested wisely can make a big difference. A small investment invested wisely can make a big difference. They poured a lot of money into Haiti. I've heard as high as $80,000 per person in Haiti. And it's still an absolute mess. You can sink a lot of money into something and, and not fix problems. But even a small amount rightly invested can make a huge difference. I want to read one of the accounts. Here's, here's the example of why I want you to read this book. Um, this is a story, true story, of a guy named Roderick and his wife, uh, Beatrice, I think her name is. Um, and, yeah, here it is, Roderick and Beatrice. Um, this is a couple who lives in Africa. And it, and one of the things that World Vision does is they, they do... Um, these things called loan, uh, microfinancing, these little loans. They'll give people a loan. Rather than just giving handouts, they give somebody a loan to help. Some of the capital. You know, they say to somebody who has a bit, an idea of, hey, I can make a lemonade stand. Let me give you some money so you can buy some your first lemons. All right? And I also want to frame this here by letting you know a little bit about the, the author. His name's Richard Stearns. He's the CEO of uh, World Vision. But before that, he was a big-time corporate CEO, making millions and millions and millions of dollars. So he understands business models. And that kind of got him into trouble because he was applying his business models in this situation. All right, enough of that. Here's the story. The World Vision staff was impressed by Roderick and Beatrice. And I do need to say one more thing. They were in extreme poverty. They, they watched their children die of poverty-related issues, no money, no nothing. All right? They were impressed, though, by their initiative. So they looked past Beatrice and Roderick's poverty and instead saw their assets. They were industrious. They were entrepreneurial. They were willing to work hard. So instead of giving them food and other things, World Vision gave them a small loan for an idea they had. Their idea? They would buy bolts of cloth and tie-dye them in hopes of selling the cloth to women who made their families clothing. 
I had to admit I was skeptical. How in the world would this couple ever sell enough cloth to make a living? I'd spent a career in consumer product marketing. I knew a bad idea when I saw one. This idea seemed like a loser to me in a place where there seemed to be no market for all the tie-dye cloth. Even after they presented me with a beautiful bolt of fabric to take home for my wife, I felt only pity for them knowing their business would fail. Well, in 2008, I returned to Zambia, and I had an opportunity to see Roderick and Beatrice again. It had been four years. How long? Say it aloud. Just four years. Listen to this. It had been four years since they started their little enterprise, and I was stunned. Their tie-dye business had succeeded. With the money they saved, they paid back their loan and then started a small storefront to sell food, diapers, and other sundries. One store turned into two, and they hired their first employee. Roderick was then able to get connected to the electric grid, and he started a welding business. Once on the grid, Roderick began charging car batteries overnight for a, for, for a fee. The batteries are often used for home electricity by people who couldn't afford to be on the grid. Next door, he built a cell tell station where those with cell phones can buy their minutes. Then he built a long building out of scrap lumber and tin. He filled it with benches, bought a TV, DVD player, and a satellite dish, and opened the first movie theater in his community to show movies. But he also received professional soccer matches via the video, which the men of the community gladly paid to see. When I visited, he was showing, I kid you not, the Jesus film in the middle of the day to about 10 customers. During my visit, it's not done yet, during my visit, Roderick took me to a concrete slab with a roof over it that he had just built. The next week, he said, a pool table would arrive and the first community pool hall would open. A good thing, he explained, because it helped the younger men stay occupied and out of trouble. The young men in the community looked up to Roderick. In all, Roderick and Beatrice, a couple I had pitied just four years earlier, now had 11 different businesses. Hit pause. What was happening to me in the first service um, is that parable of the talents started coming to mind where Jesus said, there's three folks. One got one talent, which is a large amount of money. One got, I think, two. One got five. And they went off. And what did they do with it? I'm looking at this. I've been given a lot more than a bolt of fabric. What am I doing with it? Wow. So 11 different businesses. When I first met them, I had only seen their deficits, not their assets. A mistake I will never make again. Now, last part. Listen to this closely. I wanted to test Roderick's values. So I asked him a question. Roderick, now you're a rich man. What are you going to do with all your newfound wealth? Roderick thought for a moment, and then he told me that he had been teaching a Sunday school class at his church for many of the orphans in his community. There are 41 in his class, and he's committed to visiting each one of his or her homes twice a month. And then he said, God has been good to us. And with his continued blessings, I hope to build a school for the orphans. Pray that he will allow me to do this. A bolt of fabric. Will everyone turn a bolt of fabric into a school for orphans? No. But you can make a difference. 
you can make a difference by, by just not going all the way to the edge of your resources. You know, Americans, we, we live with this consumption assumption that if I have it, it's mine. Instead of saying, you know what? All is God's, and I'm going to make sure I dedicate a portion directly to him. As, as we close today, I want to give you three, um, three different ways. If you're not already doing this, three different ways you could, you could apply this. One is internationally. We have a partnership, the Manda Children's Home, and where is Mexico? And I was digging through my photo album uh, to, to, to think back to what a difference just a little can make. What you're looking at right here, this was a trip, actually, Dan, you were on this trip, and Emily, you were on this trip. Uh, some of you were actually here on this particular trip. Um, this is a courtyard they used to have at Emanuel Children's Home. There you can see our vans all, uh, all in there. So when we, when we, we started going, you know, this is what that courtyard looked like. Now, we're not going to take credit for the after picture that you're about to see here, um, but this is what it looks like now. This is a school in that courtyard. Groups like ours just giving a portion of their summers, giving a portion of what God has already given them. Look at the difference we can make. No one person did that. It was just people coming around an idea to help these kids. You know, let's, let's go to the next picture. Here's, here's what Emmanuel Children's Home area used to look like when they first started. But a man said, hey, I want to do something. And then up in the upper right-hand corner there, you start to see the hill developing. There's the church at the bottom. And then now, it's hard to see in this, this, this photo here, but now there's a whole complex, you know, medical clinic, dental clinic, school, 100 kids being cared for. And, and of the 100 kids, you might notice a face there in that picture right below the picture of the, the home. The guy in the background with the hand up, who's that? That's Raimundo. I just noticed that last night. And Raimundo, for those of you who weren't here last week, he shared his story, what it was like to grow up in Juarez. And uh, he's now part of you know, the church family here. So here, here's one opportunity. Just getting involved. And every week, how do you get involved? Every week, it's in your bullet. I mean, it's right here. Just this much text, but it could change your life. Janet's in the back. Janet, can you do this? Um, if you want to know more about how you can get involved with the home from a distance, your sponsorship or something like that, just talk to Janet. She can, and even if you'd like to just learn more about it, get on their mailing list, that type of thing. Tim, can you put the hand up? Um, Tim, he'll take you down there. Our family's going down again this summer. They'll, he'll, he'll help get you down there. Giving some margin for others. So that's internationally. We're also, I'm really excited as a church now that we're growing and we've got more capacity we want to also be reaching out more to the city. And our approach is really going to be this kind of kingdom idea approach. Rather than just kind of shotgunning resources all over the place, we're trying to focus and, and help to develop kingdom communities. And one of the communities we're going to focus on now in the city is Powderhorn uh, area in, in Minneapolis. And we've already got a great partner with, uh, Tim's got a nonprofit called Ace in the City. They're doing amazing things down there. Many of you have already been involved. If you'd like to get involved right in Minneapolis with reaching out, carve out margin, carve out some time, carve out some resources, and, and get involved. In fact, I, I don't know if I... Oh, I, I probably haven't said the last talk point down here. Here's, here's the last talk point. Are you creating margin for the marginalized? I mean, are you creating some time in your schedule? Are you, are you creating some resources that you can put towards these things? And if you want to work in the city, talk to Tim. The other thing I'm especially excited about is right here in Shoreview. 
right here in Shoreview, from the beginning of our church, we've always encouraged people to have some margin in your grocery budget. That when you go to the grocery store, what do we try to remember to get, girls? We go to the grocery store. Not just our food, but something for the food shelf. We always try to pick out something for the food shelf. And I would encourage you to do that because there's hungry folks right here. But beyond that, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited as a church that we're going we're gonna to step up beyond that. In, in, the, in the suburbs, there's a lot of real needs here. They're just more hidden. And so what we're doing is we're saying we're going to be committed to, to saying, God, what are those needs and what would you have us to do? So we're making it mandatory reading for all of our directors. We're making it mandatory reading for all of our elders. This book called The Externally Focused Church, it's also there, the, the book's in your notes. Um, we, have our, we bought copies for the entire Compassion Justice team. If uh, you'd like us to get a copy for you, we do that too. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be reading, we're going to be studying, we're going to be praying, we're going to be asking God, God, what would you have us to do right here in the Twin Cities that we're not, right here in the Shoreview area that we're not doing now? So we encourage you to get involved with that too. You can already start with the food shelf. You can start praying along with us, reading, studying along with us um, with what God would have us to do locally. There's things we can do, right? There's things we can do. Things we can do. And as we close today's service, I want to encourage you to be open and, and asking God, what would you have me to do? We can't do it all, but what would God have us to do? So with that, I'm going to ask you to stand and let's pray as we uh, close our service. I'm also going to be praying, too, for folks not just in this area, but in other areas as well. Because I know some of you right now, you're like, okay, I get it, and I, and I want to help. But it's hard for me to stay focused on this issue when i got these other issues at home. When I have these issues in my marriage, when we have these issues with our family, when I'm facing these stresses. So I want to pray for you as well as we, we go forth in this place. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for these folks who created margin in their week, and they came to honor you with it. Lord, we pray that you were honored. We pray that, that you, were, um, you received our praises that we sang to you. We pray that you are honored now as, as we respond with, with our lives. Only you have a right to ask these things of us. And we acknowledge that. And, and we ask, Father, that you would give us wisdom. What would you have us to do as a church and as individuals? What does this look like applied? Lord, I pray for those who don't know. Lord, I pray that you would just... Inspire them either with a specific or just give them that little kick in the seat of their pants to, to pick something, to pick something. And Lord, before we close too, I also, we also want to come and we want to pray on behalf of those who's, who have needs of their own right now. In fact, needs that are so strong that it's so hard to focus on the needs of others, even though their heart wants to go there. It's hard for their mind to go there because of what they're facing. Lord, those who are facing tension at home, those who are, are estranged from family and friends. Those who are facing stresses that are financial related or stresses that are health related. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a kingdom community that creates margin for one another. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to really go out of our way to listen, to support, to care. And Lord, I pray for the courage um, that it takes to step out and to let people know that you have a need and to receive help. So, Lord, we pray first and foremost that we'll look to you for guidance, for strength. But we pray, Lord, that you'll also help us to learn how more and more to look to one another for the support we need. We pray these things, the spoken, the unspoken prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great